Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to the Shadow of the GM podcast, with me, your host, GM Shadow. Welcome back, everyone, to episode four of Shadow of the GM. So today I'm going to be doing, for the main part, my sort of review of D&D 4th edition. And if you've read the show notes, you'll see I'm going to do a why it's the best system in the world, and then a why it's the worst system in the world. Now, not to be someone who's non-committal, I will eventually sum it worth what I really kind of think on balance of those two things. But there's very much a lot of heat on this edition, which is why I've picked it, because it's the most controversial. And I want to kind of address some of those, both in what might be good and what might be bad, and, you know, take a bit of inspiration from those. And then you can pick which side of the argument you want to listen to, if you want to just pick one side. But at the end, I will kind of sum up what my thoughts are, because I'm not someone who likes to go around and not actually give my opinion on things i like to be balanced i like to try and view it from both sides but i do have an opinion like everybody else and i don't want to be someone who seems wishy-washy and sat on the fence i do have a final column where they're usually on that fence as to where i sit so yeah but before i do that let's just jump into some columns i've had since the last show hey this is josh beckelheimer um i just listened to your railroad episode and i'm glad you brought up dungeon world because that game has changed how I run games now. I use a lot of those um, techniques in my own games, doesn't matter what the system is, mainly because it helps take the load off of me. For example, if the characters come across a dead body, I can point to one of the players and say, hey, your character recognizes this body. Why don't you tell us who or what it is? And I think that also helps with the players they get to have fun because it feels like they're part of creating this big world and i don't know it 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 helps keep things you know not necessarily off the rails but you know jumping from rail to rail kind of Josh there from JB Publishing podcast and talking a bit about Dungeon World and yeah Dungeon World's one of those systems that I've not used as much as I would like. Um, I have played a few games of it, but I've not run very many. I think I've run like one little test game with it, and I actually really want to use it more. And it is part of my 2020 project to use it with my family gaming group to give them experience of it for that reason that it is much more a game where you have a lot more control over what's happening and the story and kind of involve yourself more in. Um, I'm a little trepidatious around some of my players because of the fact that I know from the past that when I when I say things like, oh, like you, like you said in your example, Josh, that you know you recognise his body, who is it? That some of them do get a bit panicked about it. Um, I think that'll actually go away with experience. I think it's an issue for them of being inexperienced. And, you know, once they realise, they could just say whatever they want. Because, again, from my personal experience and my family members, if we are, like just telling stories at bedtime or whatever together people are very good at jumping and seeing it for some reason sitting in a D&D kind of setting or a gaming setting they seem to kind of lose that ability and I kind of want them to get comfortable with it so they don't lose that ability and they can just sort of say those things but yeah Dungeon World definitely one of the systems where the stuff in it that I can steal um, quite a lot of and I like people talking about their experiences for the same reason that I can steal their ideas but also sharing that and again it helps us all kind of get used to the fact that we can we can use these different techniques and different game settings and you know it's again why I tend to go around playing different games and so I've got more of that kind of breadth of knowledge so I'm not just stuck by what it says in the Dungeons and Dragons DMG or what it says in the Rifts handbook and all those kind of things so brilliant Josh thanks for your call and hope to hear from you again soon right on to my next caller Hey, this is Jason, Nerds RPG Variety I enjoyed your railroading episode, your OSR episode, and your 2020 Projects episode. Um, I think the most interesting to me is your 2020 Projects, and I think it'll be... I look forward to updates and, and the way you go about it, what system you choose. You definitely don't want to spread too thin. 
and you don't want to throw tons of systems at people, especially people that aren't into games all the time. So you and I probably, you know, read about RPGs on our off time and, and that's our relaxation things. And, and other people aren't going to do that, right? So you need something simple enough for them to remember and hopefully something that could work across different genres for the basic rules. So if you do switch genres, you know, they don't have to learn a whole new rule set, especially if they're only playing twice a month or something like that. So just something, I mean, you already know all this, you're an experienced GM. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, but I definitely look forward to updates. So hang in there, take care. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, Jason. Really good to hear from you there. Yeah, it's um, one of those about jumping between the systems. I did think about how many should I do and also how long should we run it for. And I think I'm going to play it by ear a little bit. I mean, I am starting with 2E just because that's the one I said I would start with. And that's kind of my jumping in point. Um, like I said, I wanted the keeping the genre the same at the moment as a sort of control, I guess, around trying to get them used to, to RPing and not so much jumping around. I want to try and keep the characters the same because, again, judging it from a family, I think if I keep changing the story on them and changing the characters, that will be a harder for them to cope with than necessarily changing the system. You know, if I went from, you know, you're playing a elven wizard to the next week, you're now playing, you know, um, Zill alien in a starship, that would be for some a bit more of a struggle. Not the setting itself necessarily, although it might be, but more the fact that they're, they're kind of struggling to keep track of the storyline. My thoughts were kind of to do, uh, not a one-shot, so I think a one night would be too short for them to kind of make their minds about things, but do like a series of sessions around, you know, an adventure, a couple of adventures per system, then kind of move them on to the next one. Uh, my only concerns around that are about how I'm going to handle leveling, because if they don't progress, so if they're like playing three different systems and they're all level one for that time, there might be an issue. So we'll have to look about how we level them up at some point in time around it. But again, I'm going to play it by ear and see how they go. They might mind, they might not. Um, <clears throat> if it becomes really clear early on that they actually hate a certain, like they all hate a certain style of play, then it makes it easier for me to move around. But yeah, I will definitely be doing updates around that. Interesting, you talked about a system that they can use across genres. One of my lifelong missions has always been that I'd really love to find a system that I can just run for everything and I actually feel comfortable running it for everything and I really kind of struggle with it and I think it's because I have played generic systems, I mean I've tried to design a generic kind of universal system, I've played GURPS which probably isn't the best if you want simple, sim simplicity. Excuse me, get my tongue around those words. Um, I mean, I often once likened to GURPS, and it's a bit like the hero system for this, about designing a character. It's like you need a degree in accountancy sometimes, I feel, to kind of keep track of all the points and things to sort of build up, whereas some of the other systems, it's a bit simpler, just rolling dice, off you go. Um, but then things like Savage Worlds I've had issues with in the past just kind of didn't gel with the dice mechanic, but I am going to revisit that at some point in time. Fate, I really loved Fate. I think I said it was on the audio dungeon before. I loved Fate, and I loved the idea of Fate until I tried to run it and I found it a struggle. And I don't think so much for my own part. It was more that I found the players really struggled with some of the meta stuff behind Fate. Um, weirdly, asking my players to concede scenes and give up, like, you know, effectively kind of surrender to move the story on because they have control. They really kind of struggled with some of those concepts, which was interesting to see. Um, but, you know, I keep going on and keep sort of thinking about it. But again, although I said I was system neutral, part of me did sometimes think that if you want to play a very specific kind of theme and setting sometimes an rpg tailored to that works better i think than a, a generic one <clears throat> have a bit of interest in the cypher system i'm kind of very tempted to give that a run at some point in time in the future because you know i played a bit of the strange in the past a little bit of human error um, and i did kind of like that system if i'm being honest what kind of puts me off a bit is uh, i think i like rolling dice and as a gm you don't roll dice in it and you know as much as that gives agency to the players we talked about agency previously part of me really likes rolling dice and i miss the fact that i'm not rolling dice as a gm in that situation um, but yeah, I'm willing to give it a go and see how that works with my, my party and my 
sort of players. Um, anyway, before I go rambling off, and this isn't the part of this podcast, you know, lots of things for other sessions there, but I do want to say thanks for calling in. And yeah, I will give you feedback on how that project goes and um, a little bit about, you know, what systems we have tried and how it went. And, you know, if I'll run them for a bit longer and see how we go. But thanks for that call in anyway, Jason. And if you haven't already seen it, please go on to um, Jason's Nerd. Um, variety RPG cast nerds RPG variety cast as it's called everyone seems to struggle with that for some reason so I don't know why it's quite a simple sentence when you think about it um, and anyway on to my next caller hey up Barry Shandy Andy here from Unguarded Treasure just uh, discovered your podcast so welcome to the Anchorite community uh, I was interested because you, you're another Castbox user I've never um, never found another one so I don't know whether it's just people are keeping quiet about it, but uh, I found that a pretty good a good way of uh, listening to the uh, Anchor podcast. The only problem is there's one or two which uh, don't seem to appear on it when I do a search, so I still have to go into the Anchor app occasionally to listen on it. Um, one thing that you've actually made me think about, though, is you, you mentioned not liking the sound of your own voice, uh, and I think, as you say, everyone's the same. And I just wonder why that why we, we when we listen to ourselves on a podcast it's different to when we're talking because i think it massively is and i wonder whether we actually do li- when we're talking just normally it, is it we're actually hearing what we're thinking in our head rather than what we're saying i don't know Shandy Andy there from Unguarded Trevor, as we're calling it at the moment. But in actual fact, the Unguarded Treasure podcast, um, also a member of Audio Dungeon. So um, me and Andy kind of build a bit of rapport now around the fact that hopefully going to be some gaming soon, apart from anything else. Uh, yeah, Castbox. So I've kind of moved away a little bit from Castbox at the moment for the simple reason that um, Liren's podcast from Updates in the Middle of Nowhere is not on there. And I do kind of want to get those on my thing. So I've tried Google one and Google's not really working for me. Um, one thing I liked about Castbox is it automatically downloads the podcast for me when new ones come out when I'm subscribed. And the Google one, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to be doing that at the moment and doesn't update me when they come through. So I'm moving back to Castbox at this rate. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you have to open up the very existential questions as well. So about hearing your own voice. The only way I can really explain it for myself, and I don't know if this is the same for everybody else, is that I think when I speak and I hear myself speaking just a normal conversation, there's not only the voice that comes out of my mouth that my ears are picking up, but there's an internal voice in my head that's obviously running at the same time as I'm speaking. It's kind of how I'm imagining I sound and I'm speaking in my mind at the same time as it's coming out of my mouth. And I think when it comes back in audio, that aspect's kind of stripped out and it's purely just the sound and the sound's a bit more I think A you're focusing on your voice a lot more when it comes back because you're actually listening actively to yourself and normally you don't you just well in my case blithering away and my tongue wagging without actually hearing what I'm saying whereas in that case I'm really listening to it and it just sounds very different because it's almost like half my voice but not me and it is me and it's kind of a bit weird in that sense and that probably sounds a bit strange to anyone unless you understand what I'm talking about so what I try to do I guess when I edit my podcast is I kind of think of it more as I'm editing a podcast of someone not this is my voice what does it sound like and more thinking about is there interference in the background is there a cough there have I said something a bit stupid or do I need to change it kind of go that way so yeah it's an interesting kind of thought experiment in psychology I guess around that and it'd be interesting to know from other people how they perceive it and if they kind of agree with that or if they do sound exactly how they think they sound in their voice and their head and everything so yeah one of those weird ones anyway enough of my ramblings on now around the call-ins I think I should move on now to the actual review and we shall look at the nice lovely non-controversial subject of Dungeons and Dragons fourth edition just to not cause confusion, just want to say I have had another voice call in, so I'm just adding that in before we go into the review, so enjoy this first. Hey up Barry, Shandy Andy here, just finished listening to your OSR episode. I'm listening to uh, your episodes in a random order, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, uh, and thank you very much. I, th- I think what's 
I've started to listen to a few of them now, and I, I think that we're getting a common theme to the OSR that's perhaps it's a tighter label than initially most people thought. I don't know. I'll wait and see, because uh, I think there's a few more uh, still planned to come out episodes. Um, one thing I, on the um, uh, on the subject of OSR, um, Adventures Dark and Deep, I guess, could be thought of as a OSR 2E game, in a way. I don't know whether you're familiar with it, but it's uh, Adventures Dark and Deep is um, by BRW Games, and is a, their interpretation of how 2E would have been if Gary Gygax would have continued on with it. I wonder what your thoughts are. See, just when you think you've got the episode all planned out, Shandy Andy sneaks in there with a, another voice message just as I'm recording this one, so rather than jump straight to my, my um, review of 4E, I thought I'd quickly answer him. So, yeah, I've, I've not come across that OSR version before of 2E. I would, you know, I'd definitely be interested in having a look at that one and seeing what they, they have to think for themselves, yeah. There's always been this controversial thing about, you know, if Steve Winter think, took over 2E when Gary Gygax was unceremonially booted out of TSR, which is, you know, a nice, interesting piece of history of everyone to look into it to see what happened there. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, you know, I mean, Gary Gygax sadly isn't with us anymore, so he can't really tell us from that perspective whether he agrees with whether that was his intention or not. But it'd be interesting to see the sort of feeling behind it. Um, yeah, I listened to a few podcasts recently myself, and, you know, it does definitely seem to be some interesting stuff that's coming out about how you really ought to maybe narrow down OSR around back to those kind of very basic retro clones back to the original edition, as opposed to, say, some of the later editions. But or some of us are more kind of, as we said, inspired by the OSR. Some later editions that were inspired by the OSR movement were kind of changing those to match that feel but maybe they're not technically osr and you know it's one of those things that again i kind of felt like we're moving into sectarianism here it's a bit like you know have we got different sects in the osr community about what they consider osr and we start to have a bit of like almost like edition wars in osr and i was like well that's not my osr and i'm listening so i'll be interested to see how much that gets devolved into but you know i think at the end of the day <clears throat> that's what a lot of us said in our things i think it means different things to different people and I do kind of like that definition about if you want to talk about a purist OSR, Puritan OSR, should we say, then you could really bring it back to, well, actually, you know, the OSR was around that original edition and bringing it back to those retro clones back when we couldn't play those old games because those original versions weren't around anymore. They were out of print. You couldn't get them unless you get them, you know, on the secondhand market. And it was about trying to bring those earlier editions up to, like, the people who, you know, the new people who never had them or people who had sold them in the past and wanted to go back to them. Um, and it's interesting you think about the time scales. Yeah, I mean, the, the OGL probably helped, but I think there was a lot of changes in how D&D looked at that point in time, whether people were a bit put off by that. I don't know. But anyway, I'll just finish off that now and then I shall get straight back to my fourth edition review. You know what, 4E, it's just the best. I mean, what they did then was to the coast is that, you know, 3E was good at all, but it was really just kind of tinkering at the edges. I mean, if you look at it, it was just 2E and some of the stuff from, like, you know, players' options kind of written more into the rules because the tax of opportunity and things were in there and not my proficiencies for skills were there. And they just kind of built that one a little bit more. But when they feed 4E, they actually took the game and they really kind of shook it up. They really sort of said, right, do you know what? That's not, you know waste time just you know messing around with like the game as it was let's really kind of redesign it for the modern age let's take it and bring it you know into like the noughties let's really kind of you know bring it up to the new century and you know, one of the main things is that I mean what happened to like it's great it's like there's no more now waiting for your wizard to rest I mean how annoying we all complain about this we all say oh we're playing a game and we want to move on and we're just getting into the flow but oh no the wizard says oh I've got no more spells left so now we have to go back in cab and I have to wait for random encounters and all the shenanigans that go around that 
let's check it and they say, well, what if? What if we give, like, wizards at-will abilities? You know, let's give everybody at-will abilities. And, you know, let's kind of like, balance it a bit. Let's kind of give everyone the chance to, like, do their own little special thing. And it's not just the wizards with their whiz-bang spells. And, I mean, if, if nothing else, if nothing else about four years should tell you something, it's about the fact they expanded the races. The Tieflings, the Eladrian, all those basic races. And let's not mention Dragonborn, Dovahkiin, Dovahkiin. Okay, not that kind of Dragonborn. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, they're again, they're around. Tieflings around in 2E. Dragonborn around in 3E, but not really quite the same but this is like you know they really brought them in and you know think about it they're on the cover and everything it's like really inspiring about this new change and kind of really shaking things up I kind of got rid of this whole, like, the progressive fighter and the exponential wizard. It was kind of gone. People say stuff about the power cards, but let's be honest, like, 2E had spell cards. The spells were hard to manage, so why are we complaining about cards at the end of the day? You know, no more sifting through the books all the time to find out what your abilities are. You've got them all, these handy cards, right at your grass, you know, pin them to your character sheet, have them online if you're playing online. I mean, let's face it, we're not all backwards people playing on tables now. We've got Roll20 and things, you know. There's places you can have these cards, the online virtual tabletops. More people are using these things these days. I mean, we all used to use minis for combat, let's be honest. You know, not all of us do theatre of the mind. It's quite a lot minis going on there so I mean why are we resisting it why do we not just use it why do we not bring this media into it and I mean more than anything else the monsters oh my word the way they changed the monsters in fourth edition we're talking like more unique monsters they feel more unique I mean just look at the dragons for example I mean the dragons it was all just yeah okay so a black dragon's got you know acid breath and you know the blue one's got lightning and the red's got fire but you know blue dragon what, what, what else can you do he's now got like a thunderclap ability and a lightning strike ability and then not even get me onto the bloodied mechanic I mean we all had this thing about oh how many hit points has someone got and we can't tell them are we, are we talking about random numbers floating over people's heads but now we have a thing where when someone reaches that 50-50 mark there's some sort of change in them changing the way they look and behave so not only do you get a more sort of in-game sense but I mean think about when your character's bloodied and the stuff they can pull out it's like in the stories it's like the stories you used to read where the hero's being beaten and he's been knocked down and he's got to be getting more tired but he taps into that reserve and pulls out that something extra and then we've got it with the bloodied mechanic and, and not just that the monsters have it too and it makes them interesting no more like fighting round after round with the creatures doing the same thing over and over again no you've knocked them down and now they're pulling out loads of extra cool stuff they can use against you it's just the best how you can hate it I don't know you just need to move over the time grandpa you know it's not like second edition first edition anymore back in the day this is a new edition for the new age just got to get with the program move on stop just avoiding it because you don't like it because it doesn't look like your D&D back in the day just get in there it's the best edition ever so why 4e is the worst edition I mean, people say, you can't say this, but it just isn't D&D. It doesn't feel like D&D. doesn't really look an awful lot like D&D anymore. And, and I can give you reasons why. People say you can't say it, but I can give you reasons. I mean, the first thing I do when I look at the book is, you know, ostensibly the classes are still there, but what on earth is Controller, Striker, Commander? You know, what, what, what's all that stuff about? I mean, again, it's like... <sighs> I mean, in balance as well, they seem to have brought this idea about balancing the game by giving everyone the kind of same range of stuff to do. It's all about your little power cards and your dailies and your at-wills and your utility. What on earth is utility? Why can't you just say it's like a healing spell, but no, we have like utility spells and utility abilities and blah, blah, blah. I mean, the fact is, now spells are totally indistinguishable from combat abilities. It's just, what's my at will? What's my encounter? What's my daily? You know, that's what it all comes down to every single time. And, you know, it shouldn't really surprise me, because at the end of the day, it's Wizards of the Coast. And so, you know, people who make Magic the Gathering, why wouldn't you expect them to make a mechanic that they can now turn into cars? And, yeah, look, we've now got power cards. Well, there we go, see? You know, and that's not mentioned how the damage now works. Damage, 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 you know, it's very munchkin-y, in my opinion. I mean, just look at the thief. A thief, he was nice before, you know, searching for traps. That was kind of a unique thing, the ability to go trap hunting and all the rest of it. And then we have 
have like the sneak attack, which is quite a sort of edgy thing they have to kind of work for. But no, no, partly now, these are your strikers along with your rangers and they dance around the battlefields hitting things for ridiculous amounts of damage if they can pull little tricks off. It just, I don't know, it just it feels so much bizarre. It's like more like, you know, a bit like your MMOs. It goes back to the whole thing about the controller striker commander. It's all about your little niches in your MMO games and again let's look at it objectively here ranges and squares they really kind of took away the feet kind of mechanic and really boiled it down to squares now nothing saying about oh movement in squares range in squares you know that kind of thing it's like well you're aiming for a board game there weren't we so here we go hasbro is now showing itself over once we're now making a board game with cards it is now a glorified board game and if I don't need any more proof than anything around that, it says look at alignment. What happened to alignment? Where has it gone? Okay, we have the nice lovely little, you know, nice point little axis, little star that has all the different alignments. Oh no, we don't have that now. Now we have good, lawful good, evil and chaotic evil. So we've now narrowed down to four. Well, technically there's unaligned. And what's unaligned? We're not saying neutral anymore. Was neutral too vague? We're now saying unaligned, which is equally as vague. No, we're not really aligned to anything. I mean, what again, what does all that kind of mean? I mean, what a bad step in my opinion. You might as well just say in your rule book, well, we don't really care about role playing too much because, you know, we're kind of taking that element out we're going backwards where we can't really give you any indicators i mean alignment might not be the best tool for alignment but it was something something and now you're taking it away so you know way to go way to go wizard of course way to go breaking my game i'm just i'm just gonna go and i just can't say it anymore no don't tell me don't tell me how good it is i'm just not interested bye i'm off So hopefully you know, that wasn't necessarily massively informative. It was at least interesting to hear my kind of take on doing a review that way. Um, I'll probably do those reviews only like that for a really established big, I guess, corporate game. So the likes of your Paizos and your D&Ds and things like that. Um, Traveller stuff and maybe Chaosium, like Call of Cthulhu if I go on those roads. If I'm going to do indie reviews of indie stuff, I wouldn't quite do that Why the system is the worst. Because I feel that for indie developers, eventually it's a small team or even just a single person, and that probably wouldn't work so well for them. And you know, I feel like I'd be badgering them and saying horrible things. But I thought it was an interesting take to kind of do around for e Like I said, I will do a bit more of a serious kind of roundup at the end. Um, talk a bit about D&D edition as it goes on. As I said before, I started with the 2e when it first came out. So second edition, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and the revised, and eventually the player's options that came through. Uh, when 3E came out, there was kind of a very similar reaction. It was a very much a change when Wizards of the Coast took over, and there's a lot of an, you know, antithesis towards Wizards of the Coast and how like TSR was now gone, oh woe, betide, the end of it, all the rest of it. Um, and I resisted, as everybody else did, third edition, I think, at the time when it first came out. And I eventually got into it, and again, really kind of enjoyed it. It was a bit crunchy around the skills, um, feats and stuff, and splat books definitely took on a life of their own. And we see this through, I guess, a little bit through Pathfinder, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. So a lot of players I know who like it and they enjoy it. So when 4E came out, again, a similar thing. It was kind of looking at 4E and I thought, I spent a lot of money in 3E. Do you really want a new system? Is there any point? We kind of enjoy this one. And ended up eventually buying the player's handbook. And you know, I actually really liked it. I really liked, I mean, the artwork I quite enjoyed. It was quite a new sort of up-to-date, I guess, artwork, although part of me did miss the kind of more sort of romantic style of some of the older editions. But, you know, it was sort of up-to-date. I liked the idea of bringing the Dragonborn in and some of the things. And a lot of our players had said the things around the fact that, you know, the wizard always needs to rest all the time. It's a pain in memorising spell slots and blah, 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 and having to look up stuff in books to get the different spells and remembering them all. So the cards kind of thing did really work a little bit. But as time kind of went on, um, and I said this in a tongue-in-cheek way, I'm a thing, it was a good game and I enjoyed it. I liked playing it, but it just really didn't feel like D&D to me. And it's a hard thing to put your finger on. And people say, oh, you shouldn't say it. You shouldn't say it's not D&D. But it just didn't have the feel of Dungeons & Dragons for me of how I played it. And maybe it's a nostalgia thing. I don't know. But I will play different games based on what I want to play. And I play Dungeons & Dragons to get the Dungeons & Dragons experience. I can't put any play in than that. I don't play D&D to play a tabletop miniature stroke game with lots of cards and stuff. And it worked as a mechanic, but it kind of just didn't 
match how I felt it should play. And so there was good things in there, like the skill challenges. I think I forgot to mention it in my rant, but I kind of enjoyed the skill challenge mechanic when they brought it in because for those players who don't like the role-playing side and see skills as just like a role-playing thing or whatever, um, it did kind of bring in this sort of a bit of sense of urgency around rolling skill challenges. You have to very quickly, it's almost like a combat thing. There was stuff around how they tried to streamline a lot of mechanics um, around getting rid of like the saving throw ideas, which again, if you're a big D&D player, losing things the saving throws as such is quite significant in the way they kind of changed it. And they went to this whole, like, you've got a fortitude um, effective armor class and a reflex armor class almost and all that kind of thing. But it kind of unified the mechanic that all the attacks were kind of similar. So your magic attacks then mirrored how your, you know, melee attacks and range attacks work, but it's a slightly different way off a different stat. But it kind of unified it a lot to the sense... and. It, you could say it was simplified it but i think it kind of really you know at the end of the day you know the mechanics probably ought to be quite similar if you're kind of creating random different mechanics mechanisms for things it does get confusing to players you know if you're in one hand you're rolling d20s to hit things the other thing you're just rolling damage and they have to make a saving throw you can kind of see how in people's heads that does seem a little bit you know confusing why is it all so different when we're kind of trying to do the same thing and like i said it brought this kind of idea that everyone in the party kind of had a role and their abilities matched those roles and nobody was left kind of twiddling the thumbs firing you know heavy crossbows to do lots of damage that's a three thing kind of in there as a wizard because you've got no spells left um but like i said the feel just wasn't there for me we played quite played it for quite a while we did give it a good kind of go with my gaming group and again it was a gaming group i'd played a lot of 3E with. So again, whether we were just coloured by the fact that we played an older edition, um, although most of them hadn't played 2nd edition, then we kind of didn't like the way the 4th edition had changed because we felt like it wasn't our game anymore, I don't know. Um, but I know from that we then moved on to Pathfinder, so we kind of took a step back. We did Pathfinder and I played 2E, and there was definitely some issues around 2E that some people didn't like it quite as much as they did Pathfinder and so on and so forth, but you know, it's one of those things. 4E definitely kind of fell out of favour of the gaming group. And I guess that's kind of possibly what happened in the market, whereas Y5E came along, or rather, where D&D Next came along. So like I said, in a kind of summing up thing, I don't hate 4th edition. There's a lot of hate out there for 4th edition. I don't hate any edition, to be honest. Anyway, it's not kind of in my nature, I think, to hate things out and out. It's kind of not how I roll in general. Um, but it's definitely my least favourite. I think if, you had to, if I had to rank them, it would definitely be sitting somewhere in the bottom of how 4th edition is one I'm not really keen on. Um, just because of the way it kind of played out and I've given it a go and you know we are talking about on the audio dungeon about doing some one shots around it and I'm quite interested to kind of play it again um, I know a few people I've speak to on Twitter are really promoting it again and they're getting their 4E collections back and going back to 4E and I think this is something that does happen you do tend to go back to ones that you personally have a preference towards and whether it's nostalgia which if you want to hear about go on Spike Pitt's podcast he talks a bit about nostalgia and how that you know could influence kind of how you feel about things those sort of rose tinted glasses about how they remember the game groups back in the day maybe more than the actual system they were playing um, I don't know but like I said it kind of fits in with me I suppose in that sense because if it was about the feel of it it probably has more to do with nostalgia than actual what the game itself was doing um and so i'd also say with with 4e it's like most systems you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. so you know if you get rid of 4e and say and sack it all do you remember some of those things that were quite good in there so like i said the bloodied mechanic you know it was a little bit gamey in some ways to me in the sense that you know it's like you know when you hit 50 percent, why should something magically happen but i did like the fact that it did change the game a little bit at times it's like when your character's getting injured there's like extra resource you can pull on to do stuff and likewise with the monsters they've now got extra stuff they can pull out so as the gm it's quite fun that all of a sudden they've not seen this thing and your monster's now doing it because it's hit lower hit points and again you can factor that in, in other systems you could pull that stuff through Again, I use the example of a blue dragon there, but it's true for lots of monsters that, you know, it's not just they have a bite, claw attack, a, you know, a breath weapon attack. There's all these other extra attacks they've added in, all these sort of extra things that kind of really link to their, I guess, 
let's say mythos, like the kind of idea behind the creature, the mythology of the creature, kind of what's makeup is if it's a lightning dragon, it should have lightning effects, not just lightning breath weapon. You know, and so I really did kind of like those things, and, and there's things that sadly I feel sometimes get a little bit lost as we move back or forward into other editions, and it's things we ought to kind of carry with us and bring in, because, you know, you can house rule, you can bring these things with you, you don't have to lose them just because you don't play 4E. You know, and that's and to me that's the key point is you can you can harken back to Fury and say, Oh, we don't have this, we don't have that. Well, bring it with you. You don't need to not do it just because it's not in fifth edition or in second edition. There's nothing wrong with porting bits through as long as they kind of fit in with the mechanics and mechanisms of that particular edition. So yeah, that's it for me for now. Um I don't know if I'll do another podcast this week or not. There's a few things bouncing around which I think I might come on and throw my little rants out, but I said I'd do the fourth edition kind of review because it was controversial and because I like to throw out my controversial view of saying it's not the devil's child of editions but at the same point in time I'm not a huge fan of it um, but I kind of feel like it needs speaking up for because a lot of people are very derogatory about it and it's not really fair I don't think I like the fact they decided to shake things up I like it when music with bands when they completely go off their normal kind of style and do something totally off the wall sometimes it sounds awful but I kind of like the idea that as artists they're experimenting and they're not just doing the same thing that like a record label want to do I'm a little bit suspicious it's probably my anti one that there was a bit of a drive behind Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro in general around the fact that they are kind of pushing the sort of miniatures gaming market around it just because some of the subtle changes that came through. I don't know if that's fair. It was just because they felt a lot of people were using stuff. I do know that when we played 3E, we tended to use the battle mats quite a lot when we played it because it was easier for people to visualise with some of the area effects and things where things were. Areas of attacks of opportunity, if I'm being honest. In our group, it was a thing the most that led us into having minis because people trying to visualise in their heads all the attacks of opportunity that were setting off when doing theatre to the mind. They found really difficult and so I kind of like taking that mechanic out I know the first time I ran three bit of a side run here that I took attacks of opportunity out of it because it was easier to teach people the other rule changes by not having AOV than it was to have the attacks of opportunity in um and so AOO was kind of knocked out of it then. Um, and AOO, for attacks of opportunity, just like, you know, is actually a 2E thing. It came in with um, players' options. This is the old research style going on that if you look in the players' options, combats and tactics, attacks of opportunity are in there because it's not necessarily a 3E thing. And I could rant on forever about how 3E actually was a derivation of second edition through that pathway. And Wizards of the Coast took it on. And I think they did actually stay kind of faithful around some of the stuff that was coming out from 2E back then. Right. Anyway, that's enough for me. Like I said, I shall toodle off now. Hope you enjoyed the show. As always, if you've got any comments, I've looked me up in Audio Dungeon Discord. You can email me um, gmshadow at hotmail.com or find me on Twitter at gmshadow. Okay, speak to you soon. Peace out and keep on gaming.